You're listening to Bloom in Tech with David Bloom. This podcast sponsored by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Bloom in Tech. I'm your host, David Bloom, and every episode we pick through the rubble of the collision of technology, entertainment, and media to find a few golden nuggets of wisdom to bring before you to help us all get through this crazy time that we're in. Today is Election Day. I've had lots of reasons to be thinking about it, like I'm sure just about all of you. And uh, one of the things I've really been thinking about is this relationship between government slash politics and policymaking and our relationship with technology, particularly the social media giants that have been in the news so often and in front of Congress so frequently as we come up here on the not really election day so much as the what's probably more properly called the end of the voting period, given that 100 million Americans voted before today in an unprecedented show, which I think is great for democracy, and we could use some things that are great for democracy right now. In much the same way, we should be thinking about uh, some other things that may be good to great for democracy. You know, way back in the early before times, as I like to call it, the socially awkward Harvard dropout with a copycat hot or not website semi-accidentally created the world's biggest social media company, built on a credo of move fast and break things. A dozen or so years later, we're about to find out if the list of things that Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook has since broken permanently will include basic tenets of a functioning democracy. It's a question that needs an answer not just from Zuckerberg's companies, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, and increasingly Oculus, but also from all of Facebook's social media progeny, cousins, competitors, design inspirations, and future takeover targets. They're all grappling with fundamental questions about their roles here in the penultimate days of this brutal, endless election cycle. And just about all of them have been breaking key parts of their interfaces to reduce the tsunami of crap washing over us like something out of a climate change warrior's fever dream. I mean, just to refresh your memory amid all the craziness that's been going on, here's a sampling of a few bits of political news affecting some of those social media companies that has happened mostly in just the last few days. Of course, last week, the CEOs of Google, because of YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter trooped before a Senate committee to be hectored by GOP senators regarding alleged anti-conservative bias and to to discuss removing uh, what are called safe harbor provisions that largely hold harmless the platforms for the jerky stuff too many of their users post there. The platform said they had no bias against users who don't violate their community guidelines, but, you know, really that wasn't the point of holding a congressional hearing less than a week before Election Day, especially given that the senators couldn't be roused to deal with uh, providing more pandemic relief money before the election to all the voters out there. The point was actually to send a shot across the bows of the respective social powerhouses, much like coaches will work the referees in a big game to get a potentially favorable call at the end. Instagram changed the way its platform handles recent searches to reduce the auto-amplification of fake election news. Instagram announced the decision, somewhat weirdly, on Twitter. It said it was removing its recent tab from hashtag search menus to, quote, reduce the real-time spread of potentially harmful content that could pop up around the election, unquote. Facebook, for all the conservative bias complaints, 
hasn't dished out sanctions such as reduced traffic or lower search prominence that Facebook's own rules call for when its independent fact-checkers determine that community guidelines are being repeatedly violated, according to a Washington Post study. The reason? Facebook fears political reprisals if it locks down violators such as a pro-Trump PAC or Donald Trump Jr., who actually had a strike removed from his problematic history on the site. Facebook froze a group recommendation feature that even its own employees think is problematic. An internal Facebook presentation said the group's recommendation feature uses, quote, algorithms that exploit the human brain's attraction to divisiveness, unquote, the Wall Street Journal reported. On the flip side, Facebook removed a 30,000-strong group called New Jersey Women for Trump three days before the election, after a string of problematic coronavirus posts, Fox News reported. The timing led Donald Trump Sr. to tweet, at 1 a.m., put them back now. It's less clear why Trump chose Twitter at 1 a.m. to talk to Facebook, but it seems like that's the thing that both he and Facebook do when they want to communicate with each other. When it comes to advertising, Facebook's targeting algorithms are even more impossible to parse, but the literal bottom line is that Trump campaign ads cost about 11% less than Democratic ads, according to an analysis by the markup. Last summer, the differences were huge. The Joe Biden campaign paid almost double the rates of the Trump campaign in July and August. Not incidentally, just before Facebook's CEO was headed before Congress early in that period. The markup acknowledged that its study has some sharp limits. For instance, it had limited access to key issues like which audiences were targeted. Some are much more expensive than others. Facebook denied the allegations more generally. Regardless, the study suggests that more disclosure and visibility is needed on the ad side, too. The Biden campaign was also unhappy when a Facebook glitch, a network error, shut down advertising outreach last week for a short time. It cost what the Biden campaign said was the chance to raise $500,000. That a day's interruption on Facebook could mean that much to the Biden campaign's already record fundraising says a lot about the platform's central role in yet another part of the election process. Facebook also issued a slew of other prophylactic interface changes to head off election hijinks, including banning new political ads in the final week before Election Day, though it's worth noting that the Trump campaign easily worked around that one by posting an ad early. Facebook and other platforms also issued rules against posts featuring premature claims of election victory. Yet another publication, whose name escapes me, but smartly pointed out that uh, among the many rules that Facebook and other platforms put in place, there were few affecting social media influencers. Those are folks with audiences in the millions and can reach them, and they are not being governed in any useful way by some of what's being done. Twitter earlier in the month said it would block any tweets that call for people to interfere with the election or election results, especially by violent means. A worthwhile thing to say in the middle of the Proud Boys and the Boogaloos and a few other crews out there that uh, are uh, advocating a violent overthrow. The company also moved to slow down the velocity of reposting, redirecting users to the quote retweet button to encourage more thoughtful commentary instead of mindless button mashing. Now, I will suggest that this could be wishful thinking. Trump, of course, earlier tried to engineer a corporate fire sale of U.S. operations of the red-hot TikTok platform in a deal that would have given control to Oracle and Walmart, whose CEOs just happened to be big supporters of Trump's campaign. As of last week, the courts had helped TikTok stave off the forced sell-off. Should Trump lose, I'm guessing TikTok will be able to run out the clock and avoid this legally dubious fire sale altogether. 
But it suggests yet another way that the social media sites are vulnerable, and it becomes increasingly problematic as they become increasingly important outlets for communication. Even Spotify is getting in on the political mayhem. In May, the company pointed up $100 million for exclusive rights to podcaster Joe Rogan's shows, which CEO Daniel X said in a subsequent earnings call has, quote, outperformed our expectations, unquote. Less clear is whether Rogan also outperformed expectations with his decisions to interview extremists such as Alex Jones and anti-trans author Abigail Schreier. As Spotify employees pointed out, what good is an anti-hate content policy? when your biggest show features some of the biggest hate mongers around. Politics is also tapping new areas, such as social gaming, to reach younger audiences in particular. U.S. Rep. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez drew 430,000 Twitch viewers, including fellow squad member and U.S. Rep. Yilan Omar, to play breakout game Among Us, soon after pro-Trump spam hit Twitch. The Biden campaign also got into gaming by setting up a custom map in Fortnite, The campaign told Mashable, with voting underway and days until Election Day, we are continuing to meet people everywhere they are, and online and offline, with innovative and thoughtful activations, unquote. We're only going to see more and more of these, quote, innovations, unquote, exploiting corners of existing platforms and expanding their reach into new ones, trying to leverage the engagement tools that our social media sites have so assiduously and effectively built over the past decade or so. As many of the news items above suggest, however, the platforms are temporarily freezing functions they know will make a bad situation worse. Good for them. But here's an idea. When this election cycle finally mercifully ends, let's keep those frozen functions on ice permanently. As it is, more regulations seem near certain and way overdue for social media, as even former Google CEO Eric Schmidt who remains one of parent company Alphabet's biggest shareholders, acknowledged at a Wall Street Journal virtual conference last month, quote, the context of social networks serving as amplifiers for idiots and crazy people is not what we intended, unquote, Schmidt said, quote, unless the industry gets its act together in a really clever way, there will be regulation, unquote. I'm dubious about the likelihood of really clever self-regulation from Zuckerberg and others. Policymakers in the next administration and Congress should consider forcing more government oversight and regulatory visibility into the black box algorithms that run the networks, revamped antitrust laws to rein in the platform's market power and divestiture of significant assets into separately run companies under different ownership and management. Post-election, I hope these and other ideas are part of a broader effort to right-size the platforms and reduce the harmful effects of their exquisitely optimized interfaces. Two weeks ago, Purdue Pharma paid the federal government more than $8 billion as woefully inadequate compensation to settle a lawsuit for its soulless and egregious marketing of highly addictive opioid painkillers that left millions of Americans strung out or dead. Some social media platforms have built an even more addictive and widely accessible product and profited even more than Purdue. It's time we bring them back in line with guardrails to keep people like Mark Zuckerberg from breaking anything else at any speed. The election is a good place to start. And with that, I'll wrap it up. Thanks so much. I'll be back in a few minutes with a few thoughts, a few more thoughts, but uh, hang on for the moment when we get a message in here. So I hope you voted. I took.
So I hope you voted. I took advantage of the marvelous new ways that California is making voting simpler and easier and more convenient for lots of folks by doing a vote by mail and then dropping off my ballot several days ahead of the election at a voting center that wasn't far from where I live. I avoided lines. It took me just a handful of minutes to drop it off, and it allowed me a long and measured consideration of the many ballot measures and local candidates, as well as those at the federal and state level. I wholly hope that you, too, have been able to take advantage of innovations and encouraging people to take part in democracy. I'm heartened by the fact that 100 million people have chosen to do so before Election Day itself. And I think that in the long term, it will change the way we do elections and the way we do election strategy. October surprises, for instance, will probably have to become September surprises if they're going to be pulled at all. And beyond that, and in much bigger ways, we need to figure out how we reduce suppression efforts, improve connection between people who have a right to vote and have a voice, and making sure that our uh, elected representatives actually represent those who elected them. Let me know your thoughts about this season, about the place that the social media companies have in our electoral environment, and how we might make this better in the future. I think it's a really important issue with countries like Iran and China and Russia meddling intensely in the elections with efforts by one party to try to shut down access to voting as much as possible. And with the still substantially unchecked power of the social media platforms themselves to often do things for the right reasons, but not often enough to protect us and also to try to deal with some overwhelming questions that I'm not sure any human-run company can do. There are a lot of things that need to be looked at. I'd love to hear from you about what you think. Uh, the site that hosts and syndicates my podcast, Anchor.fm, which is now part of the Spotify family, makes it easy to leave an audio message if you'd like to do that. You can also reach out to me on Twitter at David Bloom or on LinkedIn at David L. Bloom and connect with me there and leave a message. If you really like what I'm doing with the podcast, I'd love for you to rate, review, share, and subscribe. All those things help the magic algorithm machine work better. However secretly it operates, that helps make it work better and understand that people out there care about what's being discussed. If you really like what I have to say, there is, of course, the Patreon-style process that Anchor.fm enables for um, its artists, or whatever you would like to call me. You can chip a few bucks in that can help keep this thing rolling. It'd be greatly appreciated if you're able to do that, but this, of course, is a difficult time for so many of us, and I certainly understand if you can't do that. In the meantime, please take care of yourself. Please stay safe. Stay sane. We're in the middle of a pandemic that is ramping up again. We're in the middle of a great deal of uncertainty in our future direction of our government and our democracy. And it makes sense to be as thoughtful and smart and prudent as you can on many different levels. Thank you for listening. This is David Bloom for Bloom in Tech. Over and out. You've been listening to Bloom in Tech. I am your host, David Bloom. Thanks so much. And our podcast has been sponsored in this episode by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Take care, everyone. Oh, 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 o